When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. Tamara Linderman wrote Ignorance. Her masterful fifth album is The Weather Station, during a time of prolific creativity and deep reflection. It was late 2018, and after finishing a lengthy international tour, she decided to read the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's latest report on global warming. Lindemann had always cared deeply about the environment, as her stage name suggests, but the paper's frank and brutal description of the horrors our collective indifference would bring clarified her mission. Ignorance is not only a work of caustic critique, but also of intense beauty. Blending elements of folk, rock, and jazz, its pop tapestry is both a vehicle for climate justice and a self-contained opus. Still, Lindemann's project was far from over. At 19 tracks and 76 minutes long, Ignorance is more than twice the length of the average weather station record. But there were more songs that didn't fit, stripped down ballads too subtle to match the double EP's singular grandness. 10 of those tracks come out today on Ignorance's companion album, How Is It That I Should Look At The Stars? These are songs so intimate that Lindemann was unsure whether she'd ever want to release them live recorded tracks with no percussion, songs that put as much emphasis on silence as texture. It is its own fragile thing, and it's every bit as compelling as its sister project. In advance of the album's release, I sat down with Lindemann to discuss the pain of broken political promises and the daunting task of fitting global themes into quiet, personal songs. Congratulations on, I suppose, not the new album, the latest album. It's new in that it's being released now, but not a brand new album. I, I wanted to just dive straight into the to the album itself and discuss to talk about, which is in the middle of the record, and to go back to the winter in which you wrote both of these albums. You talk about trying to fit the world into a song, and then you sort of somewhat comically have a go at yourself for being a bit lazy. Did you really feel that pressure at the time to write about such weighty topics? Did it feel like a weight on you? You know, I mean, I think that's just the way I always feel, you know, trying to fit the world into a song. I mean, yeah, that song to me is is very me. And it, it does have a subtle almost sense, not sense of humor. But I mean, I take songwriting very seriously. And I am always trying to fit the world into a song. And of course, I can't. So there is, I think, you know, that song has a few 
threads laid on top of each other, one of which is essentially a song about about songwriting <laughs> and and what to say, you know, what's this, what to say to the world and yeah. Is there an even more pressure on an album like this in which you have sort of stripped more layers from it sonically, trying to write about the entire world to fit the entire world into a song? Does that feel more difficult or easier when you're working with fewer instruments? I mean, I think it would have been a lot of pressure if I'd intended to do any of this, but I really just, these were just songs I was just writing almost, yeah, just for myself. So when I was writing Ignorance, you know, I was, I did feel a lot of pressure of the next record I wanted to make and I, I, I felt very ambitious about it and what I wanted to achieve thematically and philosophically and musically. As I would, you know, be writing songs I found that I would do better if there were just moments where I would, would let a song just be for myself, you know, and, and be like, this song is not for the album. This song is not for people. This is just for me. I have a little germ of a song, so I'm just going to complete it and set it aside. And I started to make, you know, a separate column in my notebook where I just kept track of these songs. So I wasn't really intending anyone to hear them. And then when I made the record, my intention wasn't, this is the follow-up to this record. You know, it was just like, I just want to record these songs this way for myself. But I do I do feel pressure generally. Yeah, I, I, as I say, I, I take songwriting really seriously and I'm very careful about what I say. And I I really care a lot about truth and I'm, I'm deeply cautious in how I write lyrics. So that definitely comes through in that song. But in terms of instrumentation, absolutely. It's, it's the most naked thing to just have a song that is just a song. But luckily with these songs, because my expectations were so low and it was just so clear what they were trying to do, I did feel safe in them to just let them be just as they were. At what point did you know that you wanted to release the songs that comprise How Is It That I Should Look At The Stars? It was more that I knew I really loved the record, you know, when I was making it. It was just a very pure, I love this thing. And the decision of whether or not to release it felt way more like a decision that wasn't really in my hands. It felt way more of a decision of like, can you do something like this from a commercial perspective and not just confuse everyone, right? Like, can you can you do this and not have it take away from what ignorance was? So that was more a question that I always felt a lot of trepidation about that sort of commercial business side of it. And I felt a certain amount of vulnerable trepidation to release the songs. But yeah, I had enough encouragement and perhaps a sort of optimism to, to let it out. I think sometimes it's not that I know that I want to do something, but there's a pull to do it anyways. That, that pulls me out of my own cautiousness, I suppose. Do you think that after releasing Ignorance, there was maybe a, a sense that, well, if people can understand this album, which deals with quite complex issues from a personal standpoint and has this interaction between the small and the very large, that if people could comprehend that, that maybe they could comprehend something like this as well? That's true, actually. I think that was the case. And also... I remember as I was talking about ignorance and interviews and such, there were times where I would actually be thinking of some of these songs, like the song Stars and the song that um, became titled Ignorance. Like th Those songs felt important to me to have out because they felt like they, yeah, they completed the story in this way. And when I would look back at 
ignorance, I'd be like, oh, it's not not everything I wanted to say is on this record. There's a lot that's scattered between these two records. So that became a, a, a force on the side of releasing it as well. Stars is an interesting, it's interesting to hear you bring that up because it's a moment on this record in which you talk explicitly about time. You, you place the record in a particular moment. You are standing in, in California. I assume you're standing in California in the desert and it's New Year going into 2020. Was it strange to have this album sit for, well, two years, I suppose, to, to a song like that, to, to have that sit with you for two years while the world changes so radically and now to release it into a completely different world? Does that feel strange? Do you feel differently about the song? Well, it's interesting because the words 2020. So when I wrote that, I was thinking about how for me, and I think a lot of people in our generation, the years when they happened, like 2020 felt so futuristic to me that we were in 2020 when it, when it happened. And I always think of the years in terms of like climate agreements and climate pledges that have been broken you know so a year like 2020 it's like okay we have 10 years to cut global emissions by 50 percent to keep you know these are the things that come to mind it's not like oh wow i can't wait for a brand new year it feels like the homework assignment is overdue and another year has passed like that's how i feel i feel like a dread with each passing year that only grows so that's what i was noting and also like I say, 2020, it felt very futuristic, you know, to be entering a new decade. And from a climate perspective, just like a really critical decade that we're still failing to do anything about. So that's what I was thinking about. And when I recorded that song in March 2020, that's still what I was thinking about. But then when the pandemic happened, and I've noticed when I've sang that song uh, live, people like have a response to the the phrase 2020 because because what people think is oh shit the world's about to change you know so there, there's another layer that's been added to the song that was not my intention but i find it so interesting where it's like everyone the words 2020 now is like a a collective gasp or or sort of a anxious laughter and so that's really interesting that it's the first time i've ever put a year into a song and it, it wound up being that year <laughs> of all years so yeah I felt dizzy, my chest clenched, cold and tight. It'll be 2020 tomorrow night. From Salt and City, I hear fireworks go off as though they're celebrating all another year. Is it carelessness? Send another star into the sky. Oh, it should inspire anxiety or anxious laughter, but maybe, maybe not in exactly the way that we're taking it. I, and in that sense, I suppose that song is quite depressingly timeless. Yeah, well, it's interesting because seen through that lens, it makes me think of the people and the fireworks and the carelessness. And it really feels even more poignant because 2019 still to me feels like this heightened time of like excess, you know, like this, this sort of like the last year of before we lost our innocence. And I felt that I had already lost my innocence, but I feel like, you know, in the world, 
um, you know, a lot has changed since then. Since then, does your relationship with a song change over time? just through the passage of, of, of events. Do you have a different relationship with yourself by the time that you write a song? Are you, it, does it almost in the end feel like you're sort of covering yourself after it's been so long? Absolutely. It's a really complicated relationship. And I think what I've found in myself is that the mark of a song that's good for me, like when I know that a song was good, is that I can sing it years later and still be finding different layers that I hadn't thought of at the time. And I, I don't know if this is always going to be the case. I feel like it's something that's changing in me now. But there's always parts of the song where there, there are things you've, you've hidden from yourself. And so you put them into a song. And the song is like often like the upwelling of, of some aspect of your psyche that you can't face or, or don't know how to fully face so you know i've i've been honestly i'm in a period of change in my life right now personally and i had a rehearsal the other day and i was singing my songs with my band and i was kind of like floored by all these aspects of them that suddenly in where i'm at right now were hitting me in this completely different way and it was sort of a bit frightening honestly it's it's a lot but i i think it's so interesting to have this record of you know, my consciousness through time. Yeah, I, I don't feel that I'm covering myself, but I absolutely feel a sense of, especially to return to the songs, and, you know, All of It Was Mine or any of those older songs, I feel like a sense of, you know, even the self-titled, I can see, I see this person as like a younger person who's trying to like, you know, I see places where maybe I was kind of trying to show off a bit and I regret that's always my biggest regret where I was like, I was showing off. That wasn't real. You know, like I see the little cracks. I see places where I thought I had connected to ideas, but I hadn't. You know, like I, I see those cracks in a way that no one else would. But I also feel a sense, um, yeah, of just sort of how interesting that this young person was was trying to do things. And, and mostly I just find when I look back, my songs are so much stranger than I realized they were. <laughs> and I'm kind of astonished that anyone has ever liked them but um I'm, I'm grateful obviously that um that they are as strange as they are yeah this album the one word that you've used to describe it already is, is fragile and you said the last one was sort of the other side of the coin so compared to the other side of this coin it is a fragile sounding record and a fragile feeling record but there's something very important in that fragility that, that maybe connects to something that beyond just yourself. I, you know, there's a line that you use actually in, in the press materials for this. You say to understand where we are today is to directly confront fragility. What does that mean to you in in the context of, yes, climate change and climate action and, and where, where we're at right now? It's interesting because I definitely look back at both records and I'm like, why on earth did I think any of this was a good idea? You know, why would I write a song? Like all of them, all of the songs seem so intense and confrontational in a way. And there's a lot of fragility and a lot of self-reflection that isn't flattering. And and so I find it so interesting that I was just so desperate to write these songs and get them out in the world. And and what I see is like what the, the power of the records or what, what is good about these records, I think, is that it connects to this essential issue and this essential problem of of now 
where we can't face our fragility. You know, like that's that keeps showing up on both these records, you know, but especially ignorance. I mean, it's literally called ignorance. It's like, you know, like the person in loss, like cannot face loss. They can't face fragility. Right. And and that is the the like veil that's over the world and that I'm trying to pull aside. Right. As, as a person and with my music and with everything I'm doing is is. Because I think that in order to face, you know, whether it's COVID-19 or the climate crisis, like that's what's always at the heart. That's what we can't face. I mean, why would anyone become an anti-vaxxer? You know, there, there's a, a fear of fragility, right? There's a fear of vulnerability that causes you to um, turn away from the truth. And, and with climate, it's particularly acute. I mean, why can't we talk about it? Why can't we face it? I think it's it just comes down to fear because when we face it, we realize, you know, how vulnerable we are. And so I think that when I look back on why in God's name did I think it was a good idea to make this really gentle, you know, not trendy record, <laughs> let alone release it, you know, and I, and I think that maybe that that was the pull, right? Like maybe that was what was pushing me through just being so yeah being so fragile and in, in in public feels <laughs> important to me i guess i thought about the man who called it a backpack confronted by the great expanse of his ignorance he wanted to name it to detain it forever in that small phrase it seemed like a shame Give it a name But then again I don't understand Anything the way I'm supposed to I drag every river for meaning Scrape my hand on every ceiling I never know what to say or not say What to honor or betray Effectively, without meaning to flatten that, that, that's almost a political decision then to confront or political maybe even minimizes it. But it's it's an essential decision. Like if we're going to confront issues like climate change, if we're going to confront the things that, that are really important for sort of our continued survival, we have to effectively do the same work that you were talking about with your earlier music, which is understand that fragility and, and make ourselves comfortable with it. And the only way out is through. I agree. Yeah, that's that's what I truly believe. And yeah, I'm just trying to do that in every way I can. <laughs> yeah. Add even another layer of pressure when you feel that you have to be fragile. Like as an artist, there's enough things taking from you, right? Like you have to literally perform your your work for people to then add fragility as like a political and ethical decision on top of all that. Sounds like it would be quite draining after a while. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've definitely felt a lot with, with performing the songs. I only was able to do one tour so far, but it's a lot. It's very emotional and I do feel a little bit insane. I mean, we were touring across Canada and I was playing in like Saskatoon or, you know, somewhere in front of all the nice folk festival crowd that I think kind of expected, you know, maybe a bit more like girl with an acoustic guitar and I'm wearing my weird fringe suit that I made that I look like a like some sort of like monster like a sesame street monster or something and i'm like <laughs> and i and i keep like when i sing these songs i keep wanting to be on the ground so i'm often like 
feel like I should be on my knees or like crawling or something. And I'm like, I'm a little afraid of what, of how this is coming across. And a show too. I mean, there's so many aspects where you're like, okay, I need to work, you know, I need to be on pitch and I need to sing on time. And there's all these elements that are technical. And and so to bring, you're right, that to bring sort of what I intend to present emotionally, like I don't always succeed. I, and I don't feel like I've got it figured out yet. I feel like there's a whole element of the show that I just haven't quite nailed and like I'm not there yet but when I can get there I just feel like it's so transcendent and I feel like I'm doing what I need I'm like I feel a beautiful sense of you know fate or you know like I'm I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing and I and I feel like this yeah just incredible sense of direction that I feel like I've never had in my life and it's it's one of the most important things that's that's really happened to me in my life. Yeah, it's definitely hard, but it's also easy because to me, it's a lot easier than going out on stage and trying to be what I think I'm supposed to be, whatever that is, whether it's like a cool, you know, indie rock artist or like a a folk, you know, whatever these expectations, like I just feel so grateful to not have to do anything I don't want to do. So it's really exciting too. And and I've realized too, it's like I can be on stage and like, you know, I used to feel like I was supposed to move in a certain way. And now I'm just like, sometimes I just stand like completely still for a really long time. And that works too, right? Like I think everybody responds to honesty, really. I know what you mean about going to say Saskatoon and people may be expecting somebody to show up with an acoustic guitar because the the history and the legacy of music that asks questions like your music asks, like folk folk music often is like very, very spare and not in the same way as this album. Is there something particularly valuable, do you think, in upending that, in making, yes, slightly difficult and interesting? And I saw somebody describe Ignorance as a muscular album, this album that plays off pop music of the 1980s and orchestral feel. Is it important to upend those expectations of folk music in order to effectively confront an audience or is it more of a trojan horse you're trying to work your way into that audience and then present them with these challenges i mean it's so funny because i don't really know what folk music is like what is it you know i mean i mean that's the thing like it's always this concept where i really don't know what it means other than acoustic guitar or acoustic banjo or acoustic violin i mean these are things that or mandolin these are things that people think if there's those instruments there it's folk I was making a joke recently with my my friend Karen where I was like, if there's a saxophone on the record, it is a jazz record, <laughs> which is not at all true. Like jazz is a genre that is, you know, truly based in like musical properties. But yeah, I don't know if I care much about what folk is or folk in general, but I do, I do definitely, I think when I look back at what I've always been doing, it is always subtly subversive in ways that I don't think I even necessarily realized because I think there are expectations you know when I made all of it was mine it certainly went over better than my first record which was like a weird soundscapey like super dramatic heavy insane record you know so I was like I meet certain you know western standards of appearance and you know I have a I present as very feminine and all of these things right and and my voice is pretty and I sort of just realized instead of like fighting against all of these things, I could just take them as a part of the package and and let them be 
and then and then I get to choose what I do with that, right? I get to choose what I do with the way I appear and and the way that I sing. And yeah, I mean, I definitely think that songs are sneaky. And there's lots of songs through history that are beautiful. Like I, I've thought of that concept of a song as a Trojan horse where it's like, especially a pop song or if it's really catchy, you're going to wind up singing it and, and you're going to, you're stuck with these lyrics, right? Like there's all sorts of songs that I know the lyrics to and I can sing along. And then I'm like, wait, what am I saying? Do I agree with this? You know, do I feel comfortable with this? And I think that with ignorance in particular, I was just really excited to kind of play with that a little bit. And I'm still excited for the future. That's something that's still um, exciting me as a concept of like, how can I make something that's so presentable that it just goes right in there? And then you and then you're forced to reckon with what it says, right? You know, and this record too, I wasn't thinking so much about that. But absolutely, like, I think I really love when other people make like really experimental avant garde music, that's really challenging. And like, that's music I, I like, and I enjoy. But I do also like that I like approachable music, you know, I like that I make approachable music that anyone can listen to. And, you know, you can you can hear it as just something that sounds nice in the background, or you can like listen to it deeply and and everything in between and uh i like the idea of making music that works at every piece along that that sort of spectrum i wonder if after that winter that you you had where you were like particularly engrossed in this in almost in a sort of revelatory way and you're writing i suppose quite frantically because you've produced an extensive body of work in a short period of time if you didn't just want to scream at everyone about this rather than sing in that way and that if it, it if in, at times it's difficult not to be more confrontational in the music and if it takes a certain amount of restraint to write in this fashion yeah i mean i definitely was that person like i definitely was that person on social media it's it's a thing that happens to you and i've seen it happen to other people around me where it's like you get radicalized by this knowledge right and and then you're suddenly that person you know on Facebook, you know, getting angry and yelling at your relatives, you know, like, and I, I didn't, I don't think I yelled at my relatives, but I definitely like, I had that anger and I like, I went to a town hall meeting with my MP and I like stood up and disrupted it. And I was like, what about this? And everyone like applauded, you know, like I had those moments uh, where I was that person. And, and I think there's importance to that. It's not, I think I realized who I am. I just felt very angry <laughs> and I was trying to express that and I didn't know how and um these songs were just an aside I wasn't thinking of them really to do with like climate advocacy I just thought like oh well climate's showing up here because I'm feeling a lot of anger hmm I wonder if anyone will notice but it, it was more like I was more channeling that anger on like social media or or other places like that or you know marches or whatever but you know I don't feel restrained in songs I feel like they're very realistic and truthful to how to I think they capture my inner battle and and my feelings and and at this point I actually like don't really feel much anger at anyone except like Joe Manchin and you know like there's a few there's there's politicians and fossil fuel executives and everyone else I'm just like we're all just struggling you know like I have I have zero anger or judgment to the extent that like I think people like want me to have it and I just don't it's just not how I feel but yeah I don't think songs are just where I can really express that kind of advocacy like I just don't think it works there I'm, I think it's much better suited in like real life 
you know, or or social media or or whatever kind of like written platforms. And it's been a while like since I've really engaged there, maybe in part because my <laughs> anger and I think honestly, I got really like burned out for a while, which I'm just realizing of like you, you get burned out and you get angry and you, you kind of back away. And I hope I can come back to that. Um, but it was it was a rough year or two in the in the climate space. So uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard where you you lose the feeling that you could make a difference, you know. And so I've had a bit of that. But I think I think that primarily my desire as a person is is to reach people in other ways. Like I just don't think I think that the the thing that's missing from the way that most people have been talked to about this issue is like is like love and acceptance. And so that's what I feel I want to put into the world now. And that's a quite circular because to go back to where, where we began this conversation in to talk about, it's quite interesting you saying nobody wants to drag themselves through the endless ruins of all there is in this world that is not love. And again, I think that, I mean, I, I know that there's a sort of a wink and a nudge there to like draw people in, but it was interesting even in a even when there was a bit of humor involved to see love and the world almost put at odds as if they were in, not in conflict, but as, as if writing about the world and writing about love were separate because it felt to me that these songs w were all coming from that, that same place. You're right. That's a, that's a real thread in that song. I mean, it's, it, it, it goes, my mind just goes into this whole big thing of like, what is love? You know, what, what are we thinking of? What do we talk about when we mean love? And, you know, I start thinking about all these ideas and concepts, but I think that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dehumanization in the world right now. That's what I feel. Our society has become very dehumanized, you know, it's very dehumanizing. And, and so I think when I think of love, I think of something that's so human and so present actually when you when you start to pay attention i mean that that's a really beautiful place to end like i it would be almost irresponsible for me to continue talking after that like that's such a <laughs> you can put that at the end <laughs> yeah good um uh, that's all right that's that's beautiful i should actually let you go we've been i've taken half an hour from you thank you so much for making time to talk to me congratulations again on the album and i'm really excited for it to come out i'm, I'm sure you are too yeah i am yeah thank you so much for uh thank you for the thoughtful questions of course okay speak soon good luck with everything Okay, bye. It's only the end of an endless time. I wake up in my home bed, the curtain open wide to let in wood the sky. That was Tamara Linderman talking to The Fader. The Weather Station's new album, How Is It That I Should Look at the Stars, is out today by a fat possum. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Salvatore Mackey. We'd like to thank Loughton Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
we'd appreciate if you left a rating and a review. And don't forget to keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.